Good. Well, let's pray. Ask for God's grace as we open up his word. Thank you, Lord, for what's just been shared, testimonies as to how you are at work in our lives. Thank you so much for what you've done with Raj and Scout. We praise you for answered prayer and for meeting them so sweetly and beautifully and powerfully. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us now as we open up your word and study what you teach about divorce and remarriage and marriage in the Sermon on the Mount. I pray for your heart for me. I pray for your wisdom. I pray that you would give give us all wisdom. Lord, open our eyes to see what what you are saying here in these crucial verses. Strengthen our marriages, heal our hearts. Uh, Pour out your spirit, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. Two verses in Matthew. We're also going to take a little trip to Deuteronomy 24 and Matthew 19, but let's start with Matthew 5, 31. And if you need a Bible, if you've got these guys up here ready to pass out Bibles to you, I want you all to have a Bible you can look at with us. And in the Bibles we're passing out, Matthew 5, 31 is on page 810. So in these two verses, uh, Jesus talks about divorce and remarriage and marriage. And depending on your background, where you're at, what you've experienced in your life, this topic can hit you in very different ways. Um, I think for some of you, this topic might be really encouraging, okay? And, and one of the reasons is you may be discouraged about the prospects of, you know, can marriages last? Maybe your parents were divorced. Maybe you've seen just a lot of divorces amongst people that you know. And you may have become pessimistic about the possibility. You know, is marriage really something that can last? Can it really be a beautiful thing or is it just fraught with pain? And I'm hoping that as you look at what Jesus teaches here in this passage and especially in Matthew 19, you will see that... Marriage involves God. It's God's idea. Joining a man and woman together for life in a way that is beautiful and powerful and and displays his glory. So for some of you, this is going to be, I hope, I'm praying, will be very encouraging in terms of strengthening your understanding of marriage. On the other hand, for others of you, this could be a very painful topic to, to address for lots of different reasons. I mean, some of you might be in a very painful marriage. So just the talk about marriage could just cause your heart to break. And uh, others of you, maybe a whole different place, maybe you're single and would love to be married, but there's no prospects. And so to hear talk about marriage just you know, kind of raises that, that pain up in your heart again. Or others of you maybe have suffered uh, the excruciating pain of divorce. I've not experienced that. I've heard people say that as heartbreaking as a, the death of a spouse would be, divorce is much, much more painful. And so to hear talk about divorce and about remarriage and what Jesus says could bring a lot of pain to you. So here's what I'm praying, and I I want us all to be praying, because again, we're all different places here. But let's pray that that through the words of Jesus and through the worship we've already experienced, that those who will feel some pain through this topic will be powerfully comforted by the Lord Jesus. You know how he does that. Just like what, what Jay was saying earlier, how he meets us. So let's pray for the Lord to do that. For others, this topic might might be troubling. You might be troubled at, at, at what you hear Jesus say. Maybe your commitment to your marriage has been weakening. Maybe thoughts of divorce in terms of your own marriage have been increasing. 
that would all be troubling in light of what Jesus is going to say. Or maybe you've been divorced and remarried in a way that you're going to hear Jesus say has involved adultery. Bam. I mean, just, whoa. So just from the very beginning, here's the framework. If that's you, we love you. Glad you're here. We are all sinners at the foot of the cross. We all are undone, apart from the mercy of Jesus forgiving us. And so if, if you hear Jesus say this morning, your divorce and remarriage have involved adultery, here's what he would call you to do. Bring it to him. Bring it to him. Agree with his words. Yes, Lord. Ask him to forgive you. Repent, confess, ask him to forgive you, and he will. He'll assure you you've been forgiven. You will be washed whiter than snow. You'll be clothed with his perfect righteousness. The Father will be smiling upon you. And then ask him, say, would you, would you bless the marriage I'm in now? Would you redeem the marriage I'm in now? Would you use the marriage I'm in now for your glory? And he will. He completely will. And we will stand with you. We will love you. We're together in this. So that's the framework I'd like you to be looking at this from if that's the situation that you find yourself in. Okay, so with that introduction, let's, let's dig in. Matthew 5, 31 to 32. Look at what Jesus teaches. Verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, the first question I want us to deal with, as we have in the last two sections of the Sermon on the Mount, what's Jesus correcting here? It's clear he's correcting something, right? You can see that. Verse 31, it was also said, you know, whoever divorces his wife, let him give his, her a certificate of divorce. Verse 32, but I say to you, so Jesus is correcting verse 31. So what's he correcting? And you could easily think he's correcting the Old Testament, but I want you to dig a little deeper because I don't think that's the case. To see what he's quoting in verse 31, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 24, 1 through 4. So put on your Bible study hats this morning. We're going to be digging into some of these Old Testament passages because it's crucial if you're going to understand what Jesus is saying that we get the Old Testament background. So Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, that's page 165 in the Bibles we passed out. And look at what Jesus Look at what the Old Testament says here. This is crucial because Jesus quotes it here. He also quotes it in Matthew 19. He quotes it in Mark chapter 10. I believe he quotes it in Luke as well. Paul refers to it also. Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. Now notice, I'm going to read these in a second, but verses 1 through 3 simply describe a situation. It doesn't affirm it. doesn't say it's a problem. It just says, if this happens, for better or worse, then verse 4 is where the command comes in. Then this is what should take place. So let's read verses 1 through 3. Start there. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house, 
So no, like this is a good thing or this is this is just this is what happened so far, right? Man marries a woman, divorces her. Verse two. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her, and writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man, her second husband, dies, who took her to be his wife. Okay, so so far we've just got this long situation here. Man marries a woman, divorces her. Another man marries her, divorces her, or he dies. Either way, she's left without a husband now, after the second marriage. What should happen, or what should not happen? Verse 4. Then her former husband, the first husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after she's been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So understand the passage here. This is simply a description. A man marries a woman, divorces her. Another man marries her, divorces her. No comment on the rightness or wrongness of what's taken place, or just this is what's happened. The first husband cannot remarry his previously divorced wife. Not sure why. This may be a, 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 a deterrent to divorce. Listen, husbands, you make that call, that's it. Okay, maybe a deterrent to protect the women, possibly. We aren't really sure why it's an abomination, but Jesus says that it is. But notice that from this passage, does this passage encourage divorce? It just simply describes divorce. There's no encouragement here, just a description of what can and cannot happen after divorce has occurred. You know, with that in mind, let's fast forward to Matthew 19. Okay, this is page 824 in the Bibles we passed out. Matthew 19, page 824. Verse 3, Matthew 19, 3. And Pharisees came up to him, to Jesus, and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? I did some research this week, and uh, many of the Pharisees believed that a man could divorce his wife for any reason. Any reason. Um, In fact, I read that Divorce amongst Pharisees was scandalously frequent. It was, a, it was a travesty. A little bit of background to their question. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Verse 4, he answered. I love how Jesus does this to the Pharisees. are supposed to be steeped in the scriptures. He says, uh, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said... Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, there Jesus quotes from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, uh, one of the conclusions to the whole creation story, description of marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then Jesus brings his application out of that, verse 6. So, he says... They are no longer two, but one flesh. And he looks the Pharisees in the eyes. What, therefore, God has joined together, let not man separate. Okay? God has joined man and woman together. So marriage is not just between two parties who can decide to commit or not to commit at their own discretion. Marriage involves God joining a man and a woman together. And what God has joined together... Let not man separate. 
Verse 7. They're not satisfied. They said to him, and now they referred back to Deuteronomy 24. Why then, the Pharisees say to Jesus, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Did Moses command that in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4? No. He just describes if a man does this, then he does this, and then a man does this, this. No command. So this is a clear example here of how the Pharisees distorted the Old Testament. You can see that even more clearly. Look at what Jesus says in verse 8. So back to verse 7. They said, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Verse 8. He, Jesus, said to them, because of of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed, not commanded, allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. But I say, or and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Now, the Old Testament did allow for divorce. It, it, it gave civil laws to adjudicate, to manage how divorce should be done in a way that would protect the parties. But you could follow those civil laws and still be dishonoring and disobeying God, right? The the society gave laws for how to protect the parties. didn't make it right necessarily. There's there's some cases in which it, it is. We will see some cases in which it's not. Pharisees took the Old Testament allowing of divorce and turned it into an encouragement of divorce. Really, you can see from this passage. Permission for divorce, even encouragement to divorce. And so that's what Jesus is correcting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. So let's go back to there now. Matthew 5, 31. Let's read 31 and 32. Matthew 5, 31. It was also said, and so here he is referring to the way that they've distorted Deuteronomy 24. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give for a certificate of divorce. That's not what Deuteronomy 24 said. He's not quoting Deuteronomy 24 here. He's referring to their distortion, which encouraged divorce. Verse 32, But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, so what is Jesus correcting here? He's not correcting the Old Testament. The Old Testament was right. In fact, he refers to the Old Testament in Matthew 19. He's correcting the Pharisees' distortion of the Old Testament. Okay? If you want to raise questions about that, if we have time later, you you can. But now, given that then, so what is Jesus saying here then about divorce and and remarriage and marriage? What What is he teaching here? And let me just mention, just remind me to remind you that here in Matthew 5, 31 and 32, these are Jesus' words. These are Jesus' words. This is not the words of, you know, some organized religion that's getting all kind of legalistic about details. These are our Lord Jesus' words. This is not the words of the church, not the words of people. This is Jesus' words. Jesus who died on the cross so we can be freed. Jesus who loves us with an everlasting love. No one can be more merciful than Jesus. No one can be more gracious than Jesus. And the words that he speaks here are to bring us great good. Right? Because they're going to sound, they may sound harsh to you. But I'll just plead with you. Bring that to the Lord. Trust him. 
See, these are the very words of Jesus. This is where the rubber meets the road. Are, are we going to follow Jesus and what he really said, or are we just following kind of a, of a, of a reconstructed Jesus that, that fits us better, maybe? Or are we going to follow Jesus' very words? This is what he says here. And as I studied these two verses, I saw two commands and then one strong implication. So here's the first command is at the first part of verse 32. Let's read that again. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. So the first command is don't, don't divorce your spouse for any reason other than sexual immorality. That's what I see here. So let's just try to make this real specific. Let's say that Jan has, has not been unfaithful to me in any way, but let's just imagine. She said I could use this illustration to make it more concrete. Let's say that, uh, let's say that she has not been involved in sexual immorality. She's not been, and I divorced her. Okay? It would be, be a terrible wrong on my part. Now, what, what Jesus is saying here is that then I would be in, involved and responsible in some way for making her commit adultery. Now, why? Well, especially in that culture, a woman couldn't survive financially unless she remarried. So her remarriage would involve her adultery, and I would be in some way partially responsible for it. Now, now why? Why would I be in some way, why would that marriage be, that remarriage, be adultery? I mean, after all, I've divorced her. I've declared our marriage over. You know, we can tear up the marriage certificate. We got the decree from the, from the divorce courts. So how is her new marriage adultery? It's because of what Jesus said in Matthew 19. What God has joined together, let not man separate. And so the point is that if Jan has not committed sexual immorality, if she's not been unfaithful to me, then my divorcing her changes nothing in God's eyes. She's still my wife. I'm still her husband. And so for her to marry someone else then would be to commit adultery. And because I divorced her, I would in some way also have some level of responsibility in that. Now, what if Jan, and she hasn't, but what if she has committed sexual immorality. Okay, here I am, I'm her husband. What if Jan is unfaithful to me? Okay, I don't have to divorce her. All right, Bible never ever says that. It's not what the exception clause means. I don't have to divorce her. In fact, I think Jesus would call me to forgive her, and not just to forgive her, but to do everything I can to restore the marriage, to be reconciled to her, that he would call me to do. But, if she has been unfaithful, and maybe she's persisting, maybe she's unrepentant, and if I do divorce her, then I'm no longer the one causing her to commit adultery. She's already committed adultery. And, and she is fully responsible, and I am, I am not in, from that dimension of things. And of course, this all applies to both men and women equally, right? Okay? So that's the first command. Jesus, with love for his church... Jesus knowing marriage, Jesus knowing what what God intends for marriage, Jesus loving us and speaking things that are only to bring us great good, he says, first command, don't divorce your spouse for any reason other than sexual immorality. Okay. Second command. Verse 32, let's read the whole verse, but it's the second half. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. 
Okay, Jesus is teaching here that sexual unfaithfulness can be, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to move to divorce, but it can be the grounds for divorce and remarriage in God's eyes. Sexual unfaithfulness can be the grounds for divorce and remarriage in God's eyes. So let's say there's a woman who has not been unfaithful to her husband. Okay, so here's, here's the husband, here's the woman. She's not been unfaithful to her husband, but he divorces her anyway. Okay, husband, she has not been unfaithful, he divorces her anyway. Now that would be, be a tragic wrong, be a great wrong against her. In God's eyes, she's still married to her husband who's divorced her. She's still married to him. And that's why you are, if you're a man, Jesus would say you should not marry her because you'd be committing adultery because you're marrying another man's wife. Another, uh, she's still married in God's eyes to the first, to her first husband. Now again, this would be tragic. The woman who was divorced by her husband has suffered a grievous wrong from her husband. He has done a hateful, horrible thing to her. And either he will be punished for it in hell, or Jesus bled and suffered and died to pay for his sins if he repents. And so this woman, therefore, uh, is in the very painful situation of not uh, of marriage would be adulterous. And that can feel very unfair to us. I would imagine there's nobody here who would not feel pain about the woman's situation. We should feel pain about it. But here's the deal. Jesus says these words. No one loves this woman more than Jesus does. No one does. He died. He bled on the cross. And he would so meet her in this. Outpourings of his love, outpourings of his grace. He would give her strength. He would give her fullness. He would give her life. He would give her love. He would give her the honor of being able to display that, she, that he is her treasure as she continued in the path of faithfulness to what Jesus teaches here, he would take care of her. This, I know women that are in this situation. Some of you are in this situation. Okay, We honor you. You've been given a call to display Jesus' worth in a powerful way. Okay, now, what if, what if this woman's husband, here's the man and here's the woman, what if he is sexually unfaithful? And he divorces her for that reason, or he's persistent and she divorces him for that reason, then that breaks the marriage covenant, Jesus teaches here. Okay, that breaks the marriage covenant. And so you would be free to marry her and not be committing adultery. She'd be free to remarry. Okay, again, let me scenario. Here's the man, he's been sexually unfaithful. Here's the woman, either he divorces her because he wants to marry somebody else, or he persists, she divorces him because of his sexual unfaithfulness. She'd be free to remarry. So Jesus is saying, saying here. Okay, so here's just these two little verses here, and there's there's lots of other scenarios that we could wonder about. What about this? There's lots of variables here, which we don't have time to get into this morning, but this will at least, I think, give you some kind of planks, some pillars in which you can wrestle through these things. I would hope you would do that in your home groups and wrestle with them and talk with them. I, I do want to mention that there is... Another scenario mentioned by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which I would encourage you to study. Uh, Paul talks about a scenario where there's a, a believing, uh, sorry, an unbelieving spouse who's married to a believer. And Paul talks about what should happen if the unbelieving spouse refuses to stay married to the believing spouse. 
And frankly, I, I go back and forth on this passage as to whether this allows for remarriage or not. It's not an easy passage. There's ambiguities there. Godly people believe it does. Godly people believe it doesn't. Uh, I haven't seen enough evidence there to, to say yes, it does, but I understand the ambiguities, just where it's at. I'm just being honest. Study it. Study 1 Corinthians 7, the whole chapter. Uh, that's the most important thing is that you study the scriptures. Like I like to say, Jesus won't ask you, did you believe everything Steve Fuller believed and taught? He'll ask you, did you believe the Bible? Did you study the Bible? Okay, so that's the most important thing here. Okay, so there's, there's two commands in this passage. Now again, what if you're hearing this and you're just like, floored, numb, because Jesus is saying that your divorce and remarriage have involved adultery. Maybe you didn't know. Maybe maybe you did. Uh, What do you do? Okay, we love you. We're glad you're here. Glad you're part of the church body. And Jesus would simply say, "Bring that. Bring that to me." He would say, "I would say, bring it to him. Bring that to him. Bring it to him." And agree with what he says. Agree with what he says. And confess. And he will assure you of forgiveness. He will pour his spirit out upon you. He will pour his love upon you. He will let you see and feel that you are whiter than snow, not, not tainted in some way. You're righteous. See, this you are no different than me or any of the rest of us, right? I know my sin. You know your sin. We're all clothed in Jesus' righteousness. I'm so glad I am. You're glad you are. We all are. Here we are. Okay? And I would encourage you to pray and say, Lord Jesus, would you bless the marriage I'm in now? Would you redeem the marriage I'm in now? Would you use the marriage I'm in now to display your glory and your honor? And he will say yes because of his mercy through the cross, because of his grace, he will say yes. And he will bless your marriage, the one you're in now. He will redeem your marriage, the one you're in now. He will use the marriage you're in now for Christ's glory. He will do that. It's crucial to understand that. Okay, now, there's the two commands from this passage, but there's, there's a strong implication that I, I think is also here. It's a little bit behind the scenes, but I think a strong implication is Stay faithful to your spouse and nurture your marriage. Right? It's a clear implication from what he's saying here. Stay faithful to your spouse and nurture your marriage. So I just wanted to kind of dwell for the last part here on, on, on how to do that. How do you stay faithful to your spouse? How do you nurture your marriage? Okay? The guys heard from David Lynn uh, yesterday about how to be, how to strengthen our marriage. Here's some more information for all of us, both men and women. And I just want to say it's it's easy for marriages to get into ruts. Jan and I are coming to 35 years this September. Okay, can't believe it. It's an awesome thing. It's easy for you to be married two years and have your marriage get into a rut. Okay, and so I would just encourage, let's all of us just say, Lord, is there some like brand new thing that you want us to pursue in our marriage in terms of direction? Maybe we are in a rut. Maybe there's patterns that, that are really not helpful or healthy. You know, you know how you can just get blind to patterns that are not healthy and not understand that they're not? So let, I've got 10 suggestions I want to give you, and maybe one of them will be like, whoa, okay? Or maybe, maybe it'll all be, whoa, 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 10 times or so. I'm sorry, but didn't intend that quite that way. But consider that there's ruts in your marriage, that there's patterns of unhealth, that there's patterns of, of weakness that are growing in your marriage, 
Because God will give you grace. God will give you grace to take new steps, to, to bring healing, to bring fresh nurture into your marriage. Here's ten steps. The first is this. This is the most important. Each of you, husband and wife, develop a rhythm, a pattern of daily earnest prayer and meditation on God's word. This is the most important thing. When I do a wedding, I love to say, husband, the most important thing you can do for loving your wife is to meet with the Lord Jesus regularly every day and same thing to the wife. Here's why. Your marriage is like a reservoir uh, that needs to be filled with love. Okay, because if it's not, it's, it's not pretty. So you, it's a reservoir that needs to be filled with love. How's it going to get filled with love? There's a pipeline running from your heart into that reservoir. Okay, you flow love into that marriage. Where do you get love to keep flowing love into that marriage? There's a pipeline from your heart up to God. And when every day you come before the Lord and you cast your burdens upon Him, you pray over your frustrations, your disappointments, your hurts, your sins, your pride, your lust, your greed, all, you just lay these things at your feet, you open up His Word, you pray over the Scriptures until you meet Jesus and the Holy Spirit makes the truth of God's Word real in a feeling way in your heart. The truth of God's Word becomes alive and fills you and God pours His love into your heart. Then you'll be able to pour love into your marriage. Even if your spouse isn't pouring any love into your marriage, you'll be able to pour love into your marriage. And when you both are, it's awesome. Okay, so that's the first step. (laughs) Develop your own daily rhythm of earnest prayer and meditation on God's word. Second, battle sexual lust. Using the suggestions from last week's sermon. So here's, here's what last week we said. Turn to Jesus, trust him, and ask him for help. Most important first step. Resolve to spare no effort. Consider changing your environments. Not not your marriage, but your environment, okay, where there are be sexual temptations. Pursue the all-satisfying presence of Jesus. He will so satisfy your heart. His satisfaction will break the power, break the lure of temptation. Talk to your spouse about your sexual relationship with each other. Talk. What's going well? What's not going well? How can we better serve each other? Get support from brothers or sisters to pray for you, to encourage you, to call you on your stuff, to challenge you. If and when you stumble, run back to Jesus. So battle sexual lust, crucial. Third, understand and live the roles God has established for marriage. So God has called you husbands to exercise loving leadership, loving, serving leadership in your marriage. Wives, God's called you to respectful, loving followership in your marriage. Both husband and wife, absolutely equal in God's eyes. The wife might even be more gifted in areas. You know, it's not a matter of gifting. Equally in God's eyes, but God's called husbands to to take the lead. Men, you're responsible to lead in in your marriage. If you're not clear on these roles, then what I've found is that in marriages, there are going to be underlying tension behind everything. Because if you're not clear that, like, for example, if Jan and I have to make a decision today, and if we disagree... The burden for the decision rests upon me. I've got the burden of the final decision. And men, if you don't understand it's a burden yet, just wait. It is a, that is a burden, okay? B-U-R-D-E-N. Got to bring it to the Lord and, and I'm responsible. Father, help me. And he will. But if you're not clear on who has the final say in things, there will be an underlying tension. Because you'll always be competing for who's going to win this one. Anyway, understand the roles, live the roles, love the roles. Fourth, invest time talking through sensitive topics like child discipline and money and sex. 
got to be in unity in how you're raising the kids because your kids will figure out real quick if you're not. Need I say more? And they will play you off against each other and it won't be pretty. So there's some really helpful DVDs around by the Trip Brothers. In fact, who, who has those DVDs? Somebody does. I mean, I'm not, just let me know later. Okay, good. Thank you, Daniela. Okay, there's a couple other copies. We'd like this to be circulating more. We've kind of forgotten about them, so they're probably in somebody else's bookshelf. Check your bookshelf at home, okay? And let's get those back into circulation. Really helpful. Um, work through books on budgeting. I'm just going to talk through all those issues. And like we said last week, talk humbly and graciously about your sexual relationship with each other, how you can serve each other better. So talk through all these and any other sensitive areas. How do you know that an area is sensitive? You know. Okay, it's causing pain. It's causing some level of, of, of disappointment. Fifth, be clear on the purpose for your marriage. What is the purpose for your marriage? To display the relationship between Christ and the church. It's one way, right? Ephesians chapter 5. To glorify Jesus by raising children in the Lord. To glorify Jesus by building his church, advancing the community, Christ-centered community. And to glorify Jesus by advancing the gospel. Neighborhood, workplace, friends, other ways. It's really important that you be in agreement on your purpose together. If one of you thinks that the purpose of your marriage is to retire with a lavish retirement lifestyle, and the other thinks the purpose is to advance the gospel, you will have problems, okay? So sit down and just, hey, we ever talked about what our purpose is? Let's get get that talk through. Think, pray, study, ponder, talk. What is our purpose? How's it going? Okay? Sixth, quickly take every hurt and bitterness to the cross. Every marriage in this room has hurts and bitternesses that come up, okay? The fact that there's hurt and bitterness doesn't mean married the wrong person, anything like that. We're, we're, you're married to a sinner. Your spouse is married to a sinner. Saved sinner, but they're still indwelling sin in, in us sinners, right? And hurt and bitterness is like, a, it's like a, a malignant tumor that will eat away at your love inexorably, relentlessly, unstoppingly will eat away at your love and you will, over the years, your love for each other will diminish. It's not the other person's fault. It's that there's unresolved hurt and bitterness there. So this is so crucial. Take every hurt and bitterness to the Lord Jesus immediately. Quickly and immediately take everyone until he pours his love into your heart and heals your heart, fills your heart. And then in that place of healing and filling, he will give you wisdom. Is this something you need to bring up with your spouse or not? It may be, it may not be. He'll make that clear in that place of healing and experiencing his love. Take them all to the cross. And then the seventh one flows from this sixth one. Speak only kind words to each other. How is that possible? Okay, It's possible if you do number six. Right? Take every hurt and bitterness to the cross. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart, Jesus says. And you know, if you're speaking something from impatience or something from anger, um, there's something you're not trusting, some promise of Jesus you're not trusting. There's some burden you're not resting in him. There's some hurt you're not bringing to him and letting him meet you and satisfy you. So take every hurt and bitterness to the cross and then speak only kind words. Now you can speak uh, what word do I want to use? Correction sounds too strong. Wives, you can correct your husbands kindly, right? 
Jan is amazing. Okay, didn't even know it was correction until it was too late. You know, <laughs> it's beautiful. Okay, so you know, right? You can you can you can bring correction that's kind, right, and that's loving. So we're not saying we're not being doormats here. We're not you know pretending everything's fine. We we talk honestly and really with each other. But you can do that kindly, and tenderly, and with love, right? Eighth, spend time together in the Word and prayer. Man, I would encourage you to take the lead in this. And uh, you don't need to be a big teacher. I think one of the, one of the very first times I, I tried to do this with Jan, it was an utter disaster. We, we weren't married yet, and, uh, and, and you know I'd been studying Greek, and I just thought, this is, she's going she's gonna to think I'm really hot. <laughs> anyway. You know, if all you do is open up and just read a chapter and just say, let's pray, it'll be beautiful, right? And it'll bless you, and it'll unite you. You don't need to have some big teaching, okay? But, but do this. Share with each other what you each are learning from the Word. I mean, Jan shares with me some of the most powerful truths from the Scripture. We have offices now. You know, we keep the doors open, and she's in there reading, and all of a sudden she'll say something. And all, you know, she has the most amazing things. So wives, share with your husbands things you're learning. Husbands, with your, with your wife. Um... Pray together. You'll find a rhythm. Every couple's different. Find a rhythm that works for you. This will be so bonding and so healing and so powerful. Ninth, outdo each other in serving the other. So I was talking to Jan about this on Friday, and I had my list of things, and she said she had a better idea. She's so kind. She said it very kindly. Just suggest to the husbands that they ask their wives, how can I serve you better? How can I bless you more? What can I do for you? She said, because some of the husbands might think that they that they're already doing that, and maybe they're they don't they don't maybe they're not. Okay, is that what you said? That was the idea. Okay, and then and then uh, wives ask your husbands too. How can I serve you better? How can I bless you more? What can I do to to show you how much I appreciate you? Both husbands and wives ask ask each other that question and then talk and then listen. Okay, and then outdo each other in serving the other. Finally. Love Jesus even more than each other. Jesus says this, right? He who loves husband or wife more than me is not worthy than worthy of me. So Jesus says, love your wife more. I'm sorry, love Jesus more than your wife. Love Jesus more than your husband. Now why? Here's why. Your husband will never satisfy your heart. As wonderful as he is, your wife will never satisfy your heart as wonderful as she is. Jesus will satisfy your heart completely. And as he satisfies your heart in himself completely, then you will have overflow, constant overflow, no matter what's happening, work, marriage, kids. As he satisfies your heart, you'll have constant overflow of love for your wife. And as you both come together with your heart satisfied in him, and then you pour that love out upon each other, you'll have even extra joy in each other, and it'll be beautiful. So love Jesus more than you love each other. Okay? All right. We really don't have time for questions. I'm trying, we're trying to wrap up for the sake of the kids. So if you have questions, email me. Or I hope you'll wrestle with these things in your home groups. How are we doing? Do we, is that what Matthew 5, 31, 32 is saying? Let's talk about that. Think about that together. But let's, let's stand. I just want to pray for marriages in this room to, to, to close up this morning. Let's pray for the marriages that are here. And for people here who aren't married. Let me start there. Father, Lord, for those who are here in this room who are not married, thank you for them. 
Thank you for your love for them, your plan for them, your call for them. It's excellent. And we pray, Lord, I pray together. We we pray together. Would you just even right now pour out even more of your grace upon them? Pour even more of your nearness upon them? Pour even more of your love out upon them, I pray, Lord, for the glory of your name. Bless them, fill them, satisfy them. Thank you for them. Affirm them where they are, Lord, I pray. And then, Lord, for the marriages that are here. Man, I'm sure marriages are in all different places. Bring healing. Bring growth. Bring honesty. Strengthen the men, Lord, to be so secure in you and confident in you that they can humbly, lovingly lead their wives. Help the women to be so secure, so loved in you that they can trust you to lead them through their husbands. Lord, I pray for rich times for each person here individually with you on their own in the word and prayer that 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 rhythm would grow in each of our lives so that we can then pour love to our spouses, to our kids, to people at work, whatever situation we're in. I pray that you would do something powerful in blessing husbands and wives as they come together to be in the word together and to pray together. I pray for conversations that need to take place. I pray for apologies that need to be expressed. I pray for forgiveness that needs to be given. Thank you that there's not a marriage here in this room that you can't heal and restore. So do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.